Section 25 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. Book 6, Chapter 8 now had the dutchmen snatched a huge repast and finding themselves wonderfully encouraged and animated thereby prepared to take the field expectation says the writer of the stuyvesant manuscript expectation now stood on stilts the world forgot to turn round or rather stood still that it might witness the affray like a round-bellied alderman watching the combat of two chivalrous flies upon his jerkin the eyes of all mankind, as usual in such cases, were turned upon Fort Christina. The sun, like a little man in a crowd at a puppet-show, scampered about the heavens, popping his head here and there, and endeavouring to get a peep between the unmannerly clouds that obtruded themselves in his way. The historians filled their inkhorns, the poets went without their dinners, either that they might buy paper and goose-quills, or because they could not get anything to eat antiquity scowled sulkily out of its grave to see itself outdone while even posterity stood mute gazing in gaping ecstasy of retrospection on the eventful field the immortal deities who whilom had seen service at the affair of troy now mounted their feather-bed clouds and sailed over the plain or mingled among the combatants in different disguises all itching to have a finger in the pie jupiter sent off his thunderbolt to a noted coppersmith to have it furbished up for the direful occasion venus vowed by her chastity to patronize the swedes and in semblance of a blear-eyed troll paraded the battlements of fort christina accompanied by diana as a sergeant's widow of cracked reputation the noted bully mars stuck two horse-pistols into his belt shouldered a rusty firelock and gallantly swaggered at their elbow as a drunken corporal, while Apollo trudged in their rear as a bandy-legged fifer, playing most villainously out of tune. On the other side, the ox-eyed Juno, who had gained a pair of black eyes overnight, in one of her curtain lectures with old Jupiter, displayed her haughty beauties on a baggage-wagon. Minerva, as a brawny gin-sutler, tacked up her skirts, brandished her fists, and swore most heroically, in exceeding bad Dutch, having but lately studied the language, by way of keeping up the spirits of the soldiers. While Vulcan halted as a club-footed blacksmith, lately promoted to be a captain of militia. All with silent awe or bustling preparation, war reared his horrid front, gnashed loud his iron fangs and shook his direful crest of bristling bayonets and now the mighty chieftains marshalled out their hosts here stood stout rising firm as a thousand rocks encrusted with stockades and entrenched to the chin in mud batteries his valiant soldiery lined the breastwork in grim array each having his mustachios fiercely greased and his hair pomatumed back and cued so stiffly that he grinned above the ramparts like a grisly death's head. There came on the intrepid Peter, his brows knit, his teeth set, 
his fists clenched, almost breathing forth volumes of smoke, so fierce was the fire that raged within his bosom. His faithful squire Van Corlear trudged valiantly at his heels, with his trumpet gorgeously bedecked with red and yellow ribbons, the remembrances of his fair mistresses at the Manhattoes. Then came waddling on the sturdy chivalry of the Hudson. There were the Van Wykes, and the Van Dykes, and the Ten Eyks, and the Van Nesses, the Van Tassels, the Van Grohls, the Van Hosens, the Van Giesens, and the Van Blarkums, the Van Warts, the Van Winkles, the Van Dams, the Van Pelts, the Van Rippers, and the Van Brunts. There were the Van Horns, the Van Hooks, the Van Bunschottens, the Van Gelders, the Van Arsdales, and the Van Brummels, the Vanderbelts, the Vanderhoofs, the Vandervoorts, the Vanderlins, the Vanderpools, and the Vanderspiegels. There came the Hoffmans, the Hooglands, the Hoppers, the Cloppers, the Reichmans, the Dykemans, the Hogabooms, the Rosabooms, the Uthouts, the Quackenbosses, the Roarbacks, the Garabrantses, the Bensons, the Browers, the Waldrons, the Onderdonks, the Varavangers, the Schemmerhorns, the Stoutenbergs, the Brinkerhoffs, the Bontecous, the Knickerbockers, the Hochstrassers, the Tenbreecheses, and the Tuffbreecheses, with a host more of worthies whose names are too crabbed to be written, or if they could be written it would be impossible for man to utter, all fortified with a mighty dinner, and to use the words of a great Dutch poet, brimful of wrath and cabbage. For an instant the mighty Peter paused in the midst of his career, and mounting on a stump, addressed his troops in eloquent low Dutch, exhorting them to fight like duivels, and assuring them that if they conquered they should get plenty of booty, if they fell they should be allowed the satisfaction, while dying, of reflecting that it was in the service of their country, and after they were dead, of seeing their names inscribed in the temple of renown, and handed down in company with all the other great men of the year for the admiration of posterity. Finally he swore to them, on the word of a governor, and they knew him too well to doubt it for a moment, that if he caught any mother's son of them looking pale or playing craven, he would curry his hide till he made him run out of it like a snake in springtime. Then, lugging out his trusty sabre, he brandished it three times over his head, ordered Van Corlear to sound a charge, and shouting the words, St. Nicholas and the Manhattoes, courageously dashed forwards. His warlike followers, who had employed the interval in lighting their pipes, instantly stuck them into their mouths, gave a furious puff, and charged gallantly under cover of the smoke. The Swedish garrison, ordered by the cunning rising not to fire until they could distinguish the whites of their assailants' eyes, stood in horrid silence on the covert way, until the eager Dutchmen had ascended the glacis. Then did they pour into them such a tremendous volley that the very hills quaked around, and were terrified even into an incontinence of water, insomuch that certain springs burst forth from their sides which continue to run into the present day. Not a Dutchman but would have bitten the dust beneath that dreadful fire, had not the protecting Minerva kindly taken care that the Swedes should, one and all, observe their usual custom of shutting their eyes and turning away their heads at the moment of discharge. The Swedes followed up their fire by leaping the counterscarp, and falling tooth and nail upon the foe with furious outcries and now might be seen prodigies of valour unmatched in history or song. 
here was the sturdy stoffel brinkerhoff brandishing his quarter-staff like the giant blanderon his oak-tree for he scorned to carry any other weapon and drumming a horrific tune upon the hard heads of the swedish soldiery there were the van cortlands posted at a distance like the locrian archers of yore and plying it most potently with the longbow for which they were so justly renowned on a rising knoll were gathered the valiant men of sing sing assisting marvellously in the fight by chanting the great song of st nicholas but as to the gardeniers of the hudson they were absent on a marauding party laying waste to the neighbouring watermelon patches in a different part of the field were the van grolls of anthony's nose struggling to get to the thickest of the fight but horribly perplexed in a defile between two hills by reason of the length of their noses so also the van bunschottens of nyack and kakiat so renowned for kicking with the left foot were brought to a stand for want of wind in consequence of the hearty dinner they had eaten and would have been put to utter rout but for the arrival of a gallant corps of voltigeurs composed of the hoppers who advanced nimbly to their assistance on one foot nor must i omit to mention the valiant achievements of antony van corlear who for a good quarter of an hour waged stubborn fight with a little pursy swedish drummer whose hide he drummed most magnificently and whom he would infallibly have annihilated on the spot but that he had come into the battle with no other weapon but his trumpet but now the combat thickened on came the mighty jacobus varavanger and the fighting men of the wallabout after them thundered the van pelts of esopus together with the van reapers and the van brunts bearing down all before them then the soydams and the vandams pressing forward with many a blustering oath at the head of the warriors of hellgate clad in their thunder and lightning gabardines and lastly the standard-bearers and bodyguards of peter stuyvesant bearing the great beaver of the manhattoes and now commenced the horrid din the desperate struggle the maddening ferocity the frantic desperation the confusion and self-abandonment of war dutchmen and swede commingled tugged panted and blowed the heavens were darkened with a tempest of missives bang went the guns whack went the broadswords thump went the cudgels crash went the musket stocks blows kicks cuffs scratches black eyes and bloody noses swelling the horrors of the scene thick thwack cut and hack helter skelter higgledy piggledy hurly burly head over heels rough and tumble dunder and blixum swore the dutchman splitter and splutter cried the swedes storm the works shouted hard copig peter fire the mine roared stout rising tantara twanged the trumpet of antony van corlear until all voice and sound became unintelligible grunts of pain yells of fury and shouts of triumph mingling in one hideous clamour the earth shook as if struck with a paralytic stroke trees shrunk aghast and withered at the sight rocks burrowed in the ground like rabbits and even christina creek turned from its course and ran up a hill in breathless terror long hung the contest doubtful for though a heavy shower of rain sent by the cloud-compelling jove in some measure cooled their ardour as doth a bucket of water thrown on a group of fighting mastiffs yet did they but pause for a moment to return with tenfold fury to the charge 
just at this juncture a vast and dense column of smoke was seen slowly rolling toward the scene of battle the combatants paused for a moment gazing in mute astonishment until the wind dispelling the murky cloud revealed the flaunting banner of michael paw the patroon of communipaw that valiant chieftain came fearlessly on at the head of a phalanx of oyster-fed pavonians and a corps de reserve of the van arsdales and van bummels who had remained behind to digest the enormous dinner they had eaten these now trudged manfully forward smoking their pipes with outrageous vigor so as to raise the awful cloud that has been mentioned but marching exceedingly slow being short of leg and of great rotundity in the belt and now the deities who watched over the fortunes of the nederlanders having unthinkingly left the field and stepped into a neighboring tavern to refresh themselves with a pot of beer a direful catastrophe had well-nigh ensued scarce had the myrmidons of michael paw attained the front of battle when the swedes instructed by the cunning rising levelled a shower of blows full at their tobacco pipes astounded at this insult and dismayed at the havoc of their pipes these ponderous warriors gave way like a drove of frightened elephants broke through the ranks of their own army the little hoppers were borne down in the surge the sacred banner emblazoned with the gigantic oyster of communipaw was trampled in the dirt on blundered and thundered the heavy sterned fugitives the swedes pressing on their rear and applying their feet apart post of the van arsdales and the van bummels with a vigor that prodigiously accelerated their movements nor did the renowned michael paw himself fail to receive diverse grievous and dishonorable visitations of shoe-leather but what o oh muse was the rage of peter stuyvesant when from afar he saw his army giving way in the transports of his wrath he sent forth a roar enough to shake the very hills the men of the manhattoes plucked up new courage at the sound or rather they rallied at the voice of their leader of whom they stood more in awe than of all the swedes in christendom without waiting for their aid the daring peter dashed sword in hand into the thickest of the foe then might be seen achievements worthy of the days of giants wherever he went the enemy shrank before him the swedes fled to right and left or were driven like dogs into the own ditch but as he pushed forward singly with headlong courage the foe closed behind and hung upon his rear one aimed a blow full at his heart but the protecting power which watches over the great and the good turned aside the hostile blade and directed it to a side pocket where reposed an enormous iron tobacco-box endowed like the shield of achilles with supernatural powers doubtless from bearing the portrait of the blessed saint nicholas peter stuyvesant turned like an angry bear upon the foe and seizing him as he fled by an immeasurable cue ah horse and caterpillar roared he here is what shall make worms meet o thee so saying he whirled his sword and dealt a blow that would have decapitated the varlet but that the pitying steel struck short and shaved the queue for ever from his crown at this moment an arquebusier levelled his piece from a neighbouring mound with deadly aim but the watchful minerva who had just stopped to tie up her garter seeing the peril of her favourite hero sent old boreas with his bellows 
who, as the match descended to the pan, gave a blast that blew the priming from the touch-hole. Thus waged the fight, when the stout rising, surveying the field from the top of a little ravelin, perceived his troops, banged, beaten, and kicked by the invincible Peter. Drawing his falchion, and uttering a thousand anathemas, he strode down to the scene of the combat with some such thundering strides as Jupiter is said by Hesiod to have taken when he strode down the spheres to hurl his thunderbolts at the Titans. When the rival heroes came face to face, each made prodigious start, in the style of a veteran stage champion. Then did they regard each other for a moment with the bitter aspect of two furious ramcats on the point of a clapper-clawing. Then did they throw themselves into one attitude, then into another, striking their swords on the ground, first on the right side, then on the left. At last at it they went, with incredible ferocity. Words cannot tell the prodigies of strength and valor displayed in this direful encounter, an encounter compared to which the far-famed battles of Ajax with Hector, of Aeneas with Turnus, Orlando with Rodomont, Guy of Warwick and Colbrand the Dane, or of that renowned Welsh knight Sir Owen of the Mountains with the giant Goylon, were all gentle sports and holiday recreations. At length the valiant Peter, watching his opportunity, aimed a blow, enough to cleave his adversary to the very shine, but rising, nimbly raising his sword, warded it off so narrowly, that glancing on one side it shaved away a huge canteen in which he carried his liquor. Thence, pursuing its trenchant course, it severed off a deep coat-pocket, stored with bread and cheese, which Provent, rolling among the armies, occasioned a fearful scrambling between the Swedes and Dutchmen, and made the general battle wax ten times more furious than ever. Enraged to see his military stores laid waste, the stout rising, collecting all his forces, aimed a mighty blow full at the hero's crest. In vain did his fierce little cocked hat oppose its course. The biting steel clove through the stubborn ram-beaver, and would have cracked the crown of any one not endowed with supernatural hardness of head. But the brittle weapon shivered in pieces on the skull of hard Coppic peat, shedding a thousand sparks like beams of glory round his grisly visage. The good Peter reeled with the blow, and turning up his eyes beheld a thousand suns, beside moon and stars, dancing about the firmament. At length, missing his footing by reason of his wooden leg, down he came on his seat of honour, with a crash which shook the surrounding hills, and might have wrecked his frame had he not been received into a cushion softer than velvet, which Providence, or Minerva, or St. Nicholas, or some kindly cow, had benevolently prepared for his reception. The furious rising, in despite of the maxim cherished by all true knights, that fair play is a jewel, hastened to take advantage of the hero's fall. But as he stooped to give a fatal blow, Peter Stuyvesant dealt him a thwack over the sconce with his wooden leg, which set a chime of bells ringing triple bob majors in his cerebellum. The bewildered Swede staggered with the blow, and the wary Peter, seizing a pocket-pistol which lay hard by, discharged it full at the head of the reeling rising. Let not my reader mistake. It was not a murderous weapon loaded with powder and ball. 
but a little sturdy stone pottle charged to the muzzle with a double dram of true dutch courage which the knowing antony van corlear carried about him by way of replenishing his valor and which had dropped from his wallet during his furious encounter with the drummer the hideous weapon sang through the air and true to its course as was the fragment of a rock discharged at hector by bully ajax encountered the head of the gigantic swede with matchless violence this heaven-directed blow decided the battle the ponderous pericranium of general jan rising sank upon his breast his knees tottered under him a death-like torpor seized upon his frame and he tumbled to the earth with such violence that old pluto started with affright lest he should have broken through the roof of his infernal palace his fall was the signal of defeat and victory the swedes gave way the dutch pressed forward the former took to their heels, the latter hotly pursued. Some entered with them pell-mell through the sally-port, others stormed the bastion, and others scrambled over the curtain. Thus, in a little while, the fortress of Fort Christina, which, like another Troy, had stood a siege of full ten hours, was carried by assault, without the loss of a single man on either side victory in the likeness of a gigantic ox-fly sat perched on the cocked hat of the gallant stuyvesant and it was declared by all the writers whom he hired to write the history of his expedition that on this memorable day he gained a sufficient quantity of glory to immortalize a dozen of the greatest heroes in christendom End of section twenty five